Happy Mother's Day. Gonna be a picture up here right now of me with my mother in the backyard where a home where I grew up. I think I'm about a year old there, but I really have no idea. But I enjoyed a mother's love. Humanly speaking, there's nothing stronger than a mother's love. Let's hear it for every mom here today. We love you. We appreciate you. <laughs> My dad was number eight of nine children. We don't have that many large families today, do we? Here at Brookwood today, we want to honor all of our moms by honoring one mom who has 10 children. Let's watch right now. Hi, my name is Shelly, and this is my husband, Javier, and we have 10 children. So what does it take to be the mother to these 10 children? A lot of humor, a lot of laughs. Um, you know, the fingerprints will wash off the walls. The, the temper tantrums will stop. There's so many amazing things about each child individually, and if you can get past the struggle of the moment and realize that there'll be a smile in the evening or something that'll encourage you to get through your day. Um, people laugh that I really don't keep a calendar. I go by what the important things are. Um, church on Sunday, making it to their sporting events, making sure their teeth are brushed at night and they're happy and healthy and they've played outside and they've done their schoolwork, but it doesn't always have to be in the exact order that you think it's gonna go. Um, I've had four miscarriages and you know, you think, oh, she's got seven, eight, nine, ten kids. You know, through each one that I would have a miscarriage, I realized there's a, a missing place for, for women of miscarriages. Many people don't talk about it, but, you know, it, it was really hard for me to go through that, even though I looked tough on the outside, but to think of how many women have had miscarriages and the encouragement that they need to have it's given me a lot of compassion for, for, for life, um, for the healthy kids that I do have, um, but then also, you know, to have a heart for women who, who go through that. Um, we adopted both uh, Zoe and, and Zeke, but unfortunately Zeke uh, died at a month of age uh, from, from a respiratory illness. But Zoe, she's been a true, true blessing in our life. We try to teach them whatever you do in life, whether it's, they work for the neighbor a lot. Um, he has a lot of property, a lot of land, and they drive tractors for him. They dig ditches for him. They do all sorts of manual labor. And he really uh, appreciates their work ethic and hires them over grown men because of the results and so, but that's one of the things we try to instill in them is that whatever you do, do it like you were doing it onto Christ. Right. I mean, they, they have had uh, pretty good success. Phoebe has won several South Carolina Junior Golf Association major tournaments. Both boys, uh, Joseph and Javi and Gabby, have achieved all state honors, which goes to kids that finish in the top four in the state. Um, but 
she's the glue that holds it all together. Without you, it wouldn't happen. You are the, their consistency, and you really are selfless, you know, especially when it comes to them and the way you pray for them, uh, for each and every one of them. We've both said that, you know, the Lord has entrusted us with these children. I mean, to, to care for them, but they're really His. And, and we truly feel like each and every one of the kids belongs to the Lord. Sometimes I can even take it for granted a little bit because it is the way it is. I mean, I don't know, I don't know it any other way, but I mean, you've done a fantastic job and, and, and I'm really, because of you, I'm blessed. Shelly and Javier live in Lawrence, where Javier is a family practice physician. And thank you to them for allowing us to do this video, to celebrate her, but also to celebrate every single mom here today. You know, if your mom is here today with you, why don't you give her a hug right now? If she's not, just hug some woman near you right now. <laughs> Today's message is about perseverance. Why did I come up with this? My mother had to persevere with me. And moms can't make it without perseverance. In fact, none of us can make it without perseverance. If we don't learn how to persevere, then we're simply going to run, try to escape every time we face something in our lives that is beyond our control and is unpleasant. Jesus did not want us to live a life with unrealistic expectations. And so he said this, in this world, you will have trouble. Not might, not may, but you will have trouble. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So we're going to have trouble, plenty of it. What's important is that we learn to deal with it, and perseverance is a key. Perseverance, the word endure, okay? To endure means to hold up courageously under pressure. You don't cave in under pressure. You persevere, you strive, you persist, rather than give up. Okay, you with me? Anybody out there today that needs some special perseverance? Anybody out there today going through something right now you never expected would happen to you? I can guarantee you somewhere in your life there will come a time when you feel like it's only God and you. It's only God and you. God is all you have. So our example today, as we look at Scripture, is going to be Joseph. Joseph is a tremendous example of perseverance. Joseph was the 12th, excuse me, the 11th son of 12 of the patriarch Jacob. And he was born to Jacob's favorite, Rachel. And there would be one more son born to her, Benjamin. 
his younger brother, and Rachel died in childbirth. We don't know how old Joseph was when that happened. If you want to look in your Bible and try to follow along, there's a lot of scripture here. It begins in Genesis 37 and goes to the end of the book of Genesis. And this is so rich. Once you get in it, the story is so dramatic, you can't put it down. We start at verse 3, Genesis 37. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph was born to him in his old age. I could ask right now, any of you out there who have a surprise child in your family? Isn't that wonderful? Not really, okay. (laughs) One day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph. What was it? A beautiful robe, a coat of many colors is one translation. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them, and they couldn't say a kind word to him. So here are 10 older brothers who despise him and hate him. And Joseph also has dreams. And these dreams are inspired by God. And he isn't quiet about them, even though the interpretation isn't favorable to the brothers. The dreams mean that one day they are going to bow down to Joseph. And they don't like that one bit. Also, Joseph, when he sees them behave in ways they should not behave, he gives a bad report to his father. And so they truly hate him. Jacob sends the sons out to pasture the sheep, and they end up going far away to find pasture. And so Jacob is trying to find out, how are they doing? How is my herd of sheep? And so he sends Joseph to find out, and we pick up from there. Verse 18, chapter 37, Genesis. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Are you listening? Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, a big pit dug to gather water. We could tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. So Joseph was about to come to a place where perseverance would be an absolute necessity when he would feel all alone. It was only God and him. Reuben, the oldest brother, said, no, this is a bad idea. We don't want to kill him. Let's just throw him in that pit and leave him there to die. But Reuben is intending, he's the oldest brother, I'm going to go back and get him later and take him back home to my father. About that time, a caravan goes by, and the brothers conspire to sell Joseph into slavery. And that caravan is going 250 miles away to Egypt. 
And so Joseph pleaded with them not to kill him or to sell him. But they did not listen. They did not care about him or the grief it could cause their father. And so they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. I want you to try to enter Joseph's mind at this time. What did he experience? What would it be like to be betrayed by those that are family, that are meant to love you and care for you? And instead, he finds himself going from favored to forsaken. Imagine his hands bound, walking in this caravan to Egypt. Imagine from being the favorite in a household to being a slave in Egypt. I want to ask you this question, very personal. Has anyone important to you, that mattered to you, ever treated you horribly, and simply did not care. Is there anything really more painful than that? So what are the steps of perseverance we can find in Joseph? All right, here we go. Here's what we see in all of them. Joseph kept trusting God. No matter what happened to him, he kept looking upward toward God. I'm sure he experienced every human emotion that can be experienced in such a situation. But I believe in the midst of that, he kept looking to God to see what God would do. So number one, I would say, Joseph recognized God is there in the worst of times. God hasn't gone somewhere. He is still there. And eventually we will see his hand. Here's the scripture now in Genesis 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the caravan. The Lord was with Joseph. You got your Bible, I'd mark that down. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. He lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Now, what could have happened here? You know, what does it mean the Lord was with him? You know, do I trust God to work in the bad circumstances of my life? You know, how did Joseph become the head of Potiphar's household? He could have been angry, bitter, resentful. He could have been sullen. He could have been a troublemaker. He could have just said, I give up on life. But instead, obviously, he looked at this as an opportunity where he could show his faith and he could perform in excellence, and this is what he did. You know, what would happen in our lives when we're in the midst of the worst circumstances possible and we look to God and say, God, how can I trust you with this? 
How can I believe you are with me? And how can I keep from simply throwing in the towel? So Joseph succeeds in being an attendant of Potiphar. But things are about to get much, much worse. The second thing we see Joseph does is that he rejects feel-good escapes. When we are in a time of bad circumstances and everything is going wrong, we are very, very open, vulnerable to taking a quick fix escape. He rejected feel-good escapes. Now Joseph, verse 6, was well-built. He had a six-pack in muscles, folks. All right? He was muscular and handsome. And after a while, his bored master's wife, I added a word there, took notice of Joseph and said, come sleep with me. But he refused. Look at what he says. With me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house as a servant than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Folks, it's 400 years before the Ten Commandments were written. Joseph knew in his heart what was right and wrong, and he refused to take a step that he knew would be wrong and harmful. I think this is worth writing down. You will never regret saying no to wrong. You will never regret saying no to wrong. You will always regret saying yes to something wrong. And so we see that Joseph has character. He has strength. You know, I think a normal person would say, you know, God has forsaken me. I mean, after all, isn't it God's job to keep us happy all the time? We see Joseph's character. Now, he was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. And he spent a total of 13 years in Potiphar's house and in prison. How did he get in prison? Here we go. Verse 19, Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story that she made up, that it was really Joseph who was after her. You know, a scorned person's fury. So he took Joseph and threw him into prison, and there he remained. But look again, the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. That's the word for covenant love. God made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his father. And now that covenant is real 
in the life of Joseph, faithful love. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. So we see God is with him in the worst of times, and he doesn't take the easy way out attitude. Number three, I see that Joseph trusts God when life seems unfair. I mean, he did the right thing. He refused her, and something bad happened, something worse. Now, from the attendant of a powerful man living in a palace, he's in a prison. And there, though, again, he finds favor. Now, in Pharaoh's prison, there were two servants of Pharaoh there, a baker and a cupbearer. Now, you can take the time to read all this. I'm giving you the edited version. They both have dreams one night. They have no idea what the dreams mean. And they tell Joseph, he notices they're disturbed. Their, their care has been entrusted to him. And so Joseph listens to their dreams. The one for the baker is not good news. But the one for the cupbearer is great news. Joseph says, in three days, you're going to be restored to Pharaoh. You're going to serve him again. And do me a favor. All right. Now we're in chapter 40, verse 14. Please remember me. Do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. I want you to feel the pain of being treated unfair, unfair by his brothers, unfair by Potiphar's wife, unfair, going to be unfair from the cupbearer because we read Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Now, the fourth thing I see that Joseph did, I believe, is the most important. I believe it's the greatest test of all, to believe God will bring good out of harm. God is so great, he can bring good out of the worst things that happen in our lives. The cupbearer went back to work as the chief cupbearer to Pharaoh. Never thought about Joseph, but two years later, what happens? Pharaoh has dreams, and these dreams bother him. He can't stop thinking about them. And he calls in all the wise men of Egypt to listen to his dreams, and they have no idea. You can read about the dreams. Then the cupbearer, it's been two years, he remembers Joseph. He says, there was a man in prison that interpreted my dream, and it came true. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph immediately. Chapter 41, verse 14. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. 
but I've heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. Look at what Joseph says. It is beyond my power to do this, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. So Joseph listened to the dream and said, God is telling you what he is about to do. There are going to be seven years of prosperity, of plenty. The land is going to abound in food. And it will be followed by seven years of famine. Joseph doesn't stop. He says, God is telling you this so that you can plan for the years of famine. And so you should get someone to oversee the land and gather 20% of everything that's grown every year of plenty and put it in storehouses so you'll have food in the time of famine. You need to get someone to do this. And so what happens? Joseph's suggestions, verse 37, were well received by Pharaoh. So Pharaoh asked his officials, do you know anybody? Can you find anyone else like this man? So obviously filled with the Spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of these dreams to you, clearly no one else is as qualified or as intelligent as you are, so I'm going to put you in charge of this. So Joseph goes from favored to forsaken to favored in 13 years. Joseph is 30 years old when he becomes the second in charge of Egypt. So for seven years, he gathers 20% and puts it aside. During those years, Pharaoh finds a wife for Joseph, and he has two children, and he names them, and their names reflect how Joseph now feels about himself, about God, about his place in life, and about his past. Joseph named his oldest son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget my troubles and everyone in my father's family. God has made me forget. So no longer is his mind dwelling every day on the circumstances of his being made a slave and a prisoner. But now he has a place of opportunity to serve others and save many lives, and he has a wife and children, and so he has a new life. He has no time to think about going back to Canaan and to face his evil brothers with their deeds. So he's gone on with his life. The hole in his heart has been replaced now, this famine was severe, not only in Egypt, but in Canaan. And so the word spread that there was food for sale in Egypt. And so Jacob says to his sons, what are you doing standing around here? 
And he, so he sent the ten sons that had sent Joseph into captivity, he sent them to Egypt to get food. But he kept the youngest, Benjamin, back home because he would not take a chance on losing him, just like he had lost Joseph. So his brothers came to Egypt in the second year of the famine. And there they faced their brother. It had been 22 years since they last saw him. He was now 39 years old. The last time they saw him, he was 17. And so they did not recognize him. And he concealed his identity. He spoke through an interpreter. He did not speak Hebrew, although he certainly understood it. Joseph wanted to discover what kind of men they had become. And so he said, you're spies, aren't you? You've come here to look at our land and discover our weaknesses. You're spies. And they said, oh, no. We are ten brothers, and we have one more, a younger one. And there was another one, but he's no longer with us. And Joseph said, no, you're spies. So he devised a plan to test them to see if they were still cruel-hearted. Now we're at chapter 42, verse 7. So Joseph put them all in prison for three days. Joseph was in prison for many years. Let's see how you like it for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I am a God-fearing man. If you are really honest men, choose one of your brothers to remain in prison. The rest of you may go back home with grain. But you must bring your youngest brother back to me. That will prove you're telling the truth. And then they had a conversation among themselves, having no idea that Joseph was listening and could understand their language and this is what they said. Clearly, we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. And that's why we're in this trouble. Reuben said, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. And now we have to answer for his blood. Of course, they didn't know that Joseph understood them. He'd been speaking through an interpreter. But now he turned away from them and began to weep. Here we see that God is doing this work now in Joseph's heart. And they're the seeds of compassion for those that did unimaginable harm to him are being planted. Much, much more to this story you can read in Genesis 38 through 50. So they go back. Simeon is left in prison. They go back to Jacob and tell him what happened, and they give Jacob the terrible news. He wants to see the youngest son to prove we're telling the truth. And Jacob says, there's no way I'm sending Benjamin to Egypt. I can't stand the thought of losing him. But the famine persists, and finally Jacob gives in. And so they go back, taking Benjamin with them. And when they arrive, Joseph has one more test. 
He wants to see if they will sacrifice Benjamin for their own well-being, just like they did him. Joseph wants to see, will they leave Benjamin here and go back home without him and even bring more grief to my father? So Joseph's silver cup was placed in Benjamin's belongings. And as they traveled back to Canaan, Joseph sent his men and they stopped and they searched and they found the cup in Benjamin's sack. And they brought them all back. And they faced Joseph again. And he said, why did you steal from me? Now, I'm going to put Benjamin in prison and the rest of you can go home because he's the one that's guilty. And so what would they do? This is the final test. Before they went home to their father without a son, would they do it again? The older brother named Judah stepped forward and pleaded for Benjamin's life. And he offered himself instead. He said, please, my Lord, let me stay here a slave instead of the boy. Let the boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish this would cause my father. So the test was over. And Joseph could stand it no more. He had to tell them who he was. Please read Genesis 45 and take it to heart. He said, I am Joseph to his brothers. Is my father still alive? First question he asks. I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? And we're told they were speechless. I would think so. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. And so he said, please come closer. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Go tell my father of my honored position here. Describe for him everything you've seen and bring my father here quickly. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin, his youngest brother. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. Now, they bring Jacob back, and there's a beautiful reunion. Years go by, Jacob blesses all of his sons, and Jacob dies. And the brothers talk to each other, the ten. And they say, now that our father is dead, we're going to get it. He's been holding back on his anger 
because dad is still alive. They're thinking, we did him so much harm and we caused him so much grief. There is no way he can let it go. He is going to get his ounce of flesh and more. And Joseph says these remarkable words. Genesis 50, 19. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? They had come to Joseph and said, now our dad told us to tell you that you should forgive us. <laughs> they had never talked to their dad. They were in desperation. They made that up. But Joseph said this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I will provide for you and your children. He spoke kindly to them. Now let's uh, apply this. By trusting God in the worst of times, we will eventually experience that he turns harm into good. When it's going on, we can't see it. It's later. By trusting God in the worst times of your life, you will be able to look back and see the hand of God, the fingerprints of God on your life that he has something in mind for you that you will be able to do because of these experiences that you would not be able to do if you had not gone through it. This is where Romans 8, 28 comes in. For God works in all things for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Someone meant to harm you, but God turns it into good. We see that Joseph forgives. It is so easy in bad times when someone important hurts you to hold on to it and to not forgive. Forgiveness is God's medica medication that Medication that heals the deepest wound. Forgiveness is God's medication that heals the deepest wound. Joseph was set free from prison when he was 30 years old. But it was over a decade later when he was really set free when his tears washed his brothers clean. Is God speaking to you today that it's time for you to claim this promise? I'm going to allow God to work in the bad things that have happened in my life for good. There are circumstances you cannot control. There are people you cannot control. But you can persevere and you can trust God. Now, if you're looking at your outline, you see there are three more points, and I want you to relax because I'm not going to cover them today. 
The blanks can be filled in. You can see what they are on the bottom of your outline, and you can study that yourself. I want to take this one more step very quickly. What is it like to be separated from your family and be sold into slavery? You know, I've tried to think about this in relationship to these children in India. I've tried to feel what they feel. Here's a photo of a girl praying that was rescued. She's absolutely beautiful. She's never plucked her eyebrows. Look at them. They're perfect. Just look at her face. Look at her skin. Notice her tears. Those are not tears of sorrow. Those are tears of gratitude and petition. She's thanking God she's free. And she's praying for the children who are not yet free. Here's another photo of a little boy that Praveen rescued. He was sold by his father to a brick factory where he worked with the raw materials for bricks, placing them by the furnace and then loading them on trucks. Imagine a boy like that doing that. But now he's got brothers and sisters and a family and lives with a group of rescued children and he's got food every day and he has hope and he has a future. And one more, this little girl when she was 10 years old, she was caught up in human trafficking that I will not describe from this pulpit. She was rescued by Praveen and some of his pastor friends. She's now 16 years old. Next month, she will graduate from vocational training. She will be a seamstress. She is guaranteed a job with a tremendous income. You see, it's impossible for an untouchable to get a job like this, but not when God's in it. We have 1,400 stories like these. About 600 of these children are sponsored. There's 1,400 of them. I counted a privilege to sponsor two of these children. I want you to pray about this. You will never regret blessing one of these children. You can find out more today at Ministry Spotlight. I want to thank you so much for listening to me today. I hope this message touches your heart. We're going to have counselors here up front. Many of you may need prayer today because you're dealing with the emotional pain of having been hurt deeply. Let's pray right now. Lord, just thank you for this day. Thank you that you miss nothing. And you are so great, you turn harm into good. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here.